You can be seated. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm excited about this morning. We we started a, a series last week called Proof. Um, it's uh, based on a book I'll talk about in just a second that um, really had a, a major impact on on my thinking. There was some theology that I had uh, kind of been really embracing for several years, and it, it really did a great job of kind of clarifying some things for me, even within that realm. And um, and so we decided that we would take the, the book as a basis of a series and try to try to uh, uh, help you to see kind of the things that that we're seeing in it and um, uh, that are based in Scripture. And um, I want to just say uh, publicly that Pastor David did a phenomenal job last week kicking this this series off. Yeah, go ahead. He did a just a really, really great job. He talked to us about God's planned grace. And in his message, he answered three important questions for us from Scripture. Primarily, the first question was, when did God choose to love and save his people? Well, according to Scripture, God planned to love and to save people before even the creation of the world. We find that in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. It says, even as he chose us. Ta-da! He chose you. Yeah, you. I probably wouldn't have chose you. You wouldn't have chose me for sure. But Jesus chose us. See, our sins were many, but his mercy was more. He chose us. And he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Secondly, he answered the question, how is Jesus our sacrifice? Well, as John the Baptist said, he is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Isaiah 53, 5 says these words. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace was put upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. And lastly, we answered the question, what hope does the message of the cross offer to us? And the message of the cross is that we belong to Jesus because he bought us with his blood. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 says, you are not your own. Surprise. Diet Coke commercials tell you, you be you or you do you. And guess what? Jesus says, well, you don't belong to yourself. You belong to me. And, and why, are we, why do we belong to him? Because the Bible says that we were bought with a price, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. So today we're going to turn our attention uh, uh, from God's planned grace to his resurrecting grace. And we're going to seek to answer three more questions. And those questions are, A, who will come to God? And can you come to God in your own power? And how does the Holy Spirit make us alive? We're basing this series, as I mentioned earlier, on the book Proof by Daniel Montgomery and Timothy Jones. And we have a few copies in the foyer if you want them. You don't have to buy them, but if if you want them, they're available for you. I think we're charging $10 for them. You can uh, just... 
put your offering for the book in the offering box in the back. You can do it on the kiosks or, or online. But if you'd like that, there's a few more available uh, out there, so on the bookshelf. Um, now, last week's message, this is the good thing, generated a lot of discussion lot of questions and honestly we hope that continues we hope that a lot more of you have questions and things that you'd like to talk about that to get raised in this series and so what i've decided to do is i want you to to invite you even if in the middle of my message if you want to text a message uh, a question uh, about something i say or something that pastor david said last week or what something we'll say in the in the in the following weeks text it to my cell phone number. That number is 928-8632. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to, um, at some point, uh, probably at the end of the series, we're going to, so that we don't have to answer the same question several times, we're going to have a time where we just kind of follow up on this series and answer some of the tough questions that you may have. So we want to freely invite you to do that. And um, it, But oh, I do want to say this. If you have a question that's just bugging you to death and you need an answer or you want to try to get an answer, feel free to uh, uh, pull me or Pastor David or one of the other elders aside and we'll do the best to give you an answer um, right away. So um, uh, let, let's go ahead and get into the message today about God's resurrecting grace. So when I was about 12 years old, um, I went with my sister. She was a student at Odessa College and she was going to be doing some, some studying with a friend, a couple of friends in a study group. And she was at that time in my life, kind of my primary caregiver. And so I went with her, um, and to the library at Texas, at the, I almost said Texas Tech, at Odessa College. And I was bored to tears because, you know, they were doing their thing and I had nothing to do. So I went to the, their media library and I got a, a VHS tape. Off, do you remember those? Um, I, I, I got one of those off the shelf and I went to the, the, uh, media station, kind of settled in there so that I could watch it. Now, the film was the 1968 low-budget, black-and-white classic, horror classic, The Night of the Living Dead. Anybody ever seen that movie? You can admit it. We're, you know, confession. Oh, come on. There's not one hand going up, and I know better. Okay. So I remember in that very, sitting in that very public setting, it's broad daylight, middle of the day, and I am scared, senseless, at this depiction of wave after wave of the undead attacking a group of terrified, huddled strangers in a farmhouse, uh, just kind of making their way, you know, kind of doing that, that zombie thing. And now see this whole zombie genre that has just exploded in the last several years wasn't that popular back then. And so I had not yet become numbed to the disturbing sight of the undead clawing their way out of their graves, prowling around in order to consume human flesh. Now it's just kind of, you know, every other channel has some kind of zombie, you know, genre on there. But think about zombies for just a minute. Now I guarantee you no one's ever asked you to do that in church before, but think about zombies for a minute. Living dead is obviously an oxymoron, right? It's kind of like jumbo shrimp. The, the living dead is an oxymoron. It, 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 to say the undead is a more uh, apt description of zombies. See, a zombie isn't alive, but they're not entirely dead. They're not resurrected, 
They're just kind of reanimated. See, the book, the proof, it describes zombies as never resting, as always on the move, but never truly living, always consuming, but never satisfied. Does that sound familiar to you? Maybe like if you're looking in the mirror, it sounds familiar to you. See, this is how the Bible describes us. Did you know that? This is how the Bible describes us. Though we appear to be very much alive, the Bible says that we are actually dead in our trespasses and our sins. Pastor David shared this a great, did a great job sharing of it last week. But, but so our question this week is going to start with this. How did we get into this zombie state, this dead but kind of alive but not really alive, more dead state? How did that happen to us? Well, in the beginning, we read that God created the first man, the first woman, and he placed them in this beautiful garden and he blessed them and he told them to enjoy life. To, to make love and make babies and, and, and to manage and steward the whole planet. Total freedom. He withheld absolutely nothing from them except the fruit of one single solitary tree. Just one. He, he um, told them that, that you know they could have anything except this one tree. And this was to remind them that that they should never forget that all of their blessings, all of the authority he had placed in them had a source higher than themselves. That that, that that source that gave them their authority, that gave them their blessings was worthy of their respect and worthy of their obedience. And so God places this rule in Genesis 2.17. He tells them of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Now listen to these next words. For in the day that you eat of it, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But an enemy crept into the garden and deceived the couple. You remember this story? Came in, deceived the couple. He tells them that their generous creator was actually not really that generous. He was kind of holding out on them. So they ate the fruit. They fell for his trap. They ate the fruit and they felt the consequence and just like God said it would happen, exactly like God said it would happen, the crown and the pinnacle of his creation died that very day. Now you might say, well, hold on. They, they didn't die physically right away. Although bodily death, which was never a factor for them, was now very much guaranteed to them. But they did immediately, however, die spiritually, immediately. See, for the first time... They were alienated. They were separated. There was a gulf between them and their generous, gracious creator. And as a result, they began to despise every single thing that God had treasured. And they, more than that, they despised everything that he was. The most traumatic effect of their fall was that they released this genetic kind of contagion into their bloodline and it affected every person, every generation of their offspring from, from then to now. See, and this tells us that there's a difference, a real important difference, between sins 
plural, which are our acts of rebellion against God's order. When we say my way is, is superior to God's way, that's a, that's, those are sins and we're all guilty of them. But there's a difference between that and indwelling sin, singular. See, sin is the condition that we're all born into that makes us so prone to sins. Follow me? So no matter what we might think about ourselves, all of us, every single one of us are born dead. You're born dead because of our sinful actions and the inherited curse of sin. And how come no one's saying amen? Good preaching, Pastor Mark. Well, here, here, here I'm going to help you out a little bit. There's good news. There's good news. We're going to turn a corner here. The good news is that God never, ever gave up on the human race. Help me out now. That's you. If you want to know what part you play in this, you're the human race. And God never gave up on us. He never will. God actually planned a much better gift for his people than a place in paradise. Much better than, than a job of managing creation. God intended to show all of creation the glory of his grace by paying a price that was too high for any of us to pay. And what he was going to do by paying that price was reverse the damage done by the deceiver and by the foolish choices of those prototype humans. God would send his very own sinless son, the very prince of heaven, to be tortured, to be mocked, to be nailed to a cross, to pay the bill for all the sins of humanity. But that wasn't in the story. He would also rise from death. So not only would he pay the the price for the sin and the sins that we've committed, but he would rise from death after three days and, and thereby he would defeat the very consequence of sin itself, death. He would be proclaimed victor over even the consequence of sin. And if we just believe, as I said earlier, We can appropriate Christ's suffering and apply it to our own debt and in exchange receive all of his goodness even as he on the cross took all of our badness. There's nothing, there's nothing, there is nothing Pastor David taught us last week that you can do to earn this forgiveness. Jesus has satisfied every bit of God's fully justified wrath against us. It is a free gift. Uh Uh-oh, here's the bad news again. Ready? I don't think you are. You ready? Here's the bad news. God has provided this free gift, but left to ourselves, not a single one of us, not one of us will accept this free gift of Christ's righteousness. Not one. It's not because we don't have the power to choose. Oh, we have plenty of power to choose. We choose things all the time. But it's because we've already made our choice. Every single one of us, man, woman, boy, girl, has already cast our vote. See, we choose based on what we most desire. 
We, we choose uh, based on, on what we most desire. And, and what we most desire, if you hadn't figured it out now, is not holiness. What we most desire is not righteousness or even salvation. What we want most is self-gratification. What we want most is self-worship. God's kingdom operating methods, which demand that we treasure Him above all else, will never do for a bunch of dead-on-arrival zombies like us. Oh my. Oh my. Oh my. Romans 3.10. Don't take my word for it. Apostle Paul says this, he's quoting the Psalms. And he says, as it is written, listen, none is righteous. Who is righteous? No, not one. No one understands. Who understands? Now watch this next phrase. No one seeks for God. Who? No one. No one's looking for God. He says all have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Not because we don't have the power or, 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 we, or we don't choose to. It's because we've already chosen. I prefer everything else. So we're spiritually doomed. Spiritually doomed. We are sunk, dead in the water. And this is because of three things, what we were and what we did. And in light of that, we find ourselves, uh, we find that our doom, because of what we did and what we, and what we were, is deserved. So let me kind of break that down to you. Everybody turn to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, um, there is one in the seat in front of you. If you don't have a Bible that you own, you can have that one. It's our gift to you. But everybody do that and turn to page 568. And we're going to take a few passages in this in this uh, chapter and we're going to take a look at this and try to break down what i'm saying here so that my first premise beginning in ephesians 2 verse 1 is that we're doomed because of what we were so what were we paul says and you were what say that louder we were we were dead in our trespasses and sins what we were, as we have said over and over, me and Pastor David both, is that we were dead. And this is important for us for two reasons. Get this straight. Two reasons why it's important to understand that you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Number one, first, it means that being dead, we weren't merely sick. We didn't just need a shot of spiritual penicillin. We weren't merely lost. We weren't needing some compass to find our way back to Jesus. We weren't merely bad, needing some moral tune-up. We weren't merely confused, needing better information. See, outside of Christ, we were rotten, stinking, bloated corpses. The doctor had called it. We were toe-tagged and body-bagged. Dead. Second, why this is important to know, be prepared to be offended in three, two, one. Second, this means that no matter what your mama or your church or your social club has been telling you, you are not inherently a good person. 
Thank you, Dave. I appreciate that. Everyone else is like, the heck you say? Listen to me. You are not, I am not, in any sense of the word, inherently a good person. Come on, man. I can't do this without you. I could, but I don't want to. It's hard. We, we live into this delusion that there's something good in us. There's, there's just a little spark. But there was not some shred of light that helped you get saved. There wasn't like this, you know, everybody else is just rotten. You got Charles Manson on one end of the spectrum. And you might be have been a sinner, but in you there was something good. And you said, you know what? Heck, I'm going to give Jesus a try. No! We were lost. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Nothing good. Jonathan Edwards, the great 18th century preacher, evangelist, said these words. He said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except for the sin that makes it necessary. We are not only doomed because of what we were, but because of what we did. This is what the Bible says in in verse 2. It says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Some verses say, some passages say lived. It says, Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. In this verse, Paul says that we followed three things. First, we followed the course of this world. That means that our default setting is to go, is, 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 is to go with the current of the following culture. None of us are swimming against it. None of us. We go with the current. Proverbs 16.25, everybody knows this verse. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. The way that feels so good, whatever it is, you just follow that path, you're going to be dead. In your spirit, in your soul, and eventually your body. Secondly, Not only did we follow the course of this world, but we followed the devil who Paul is calling here the prince of the power of the air. Listen to this. I said you were not inherently good. Paul is saying here, not Mark. Paul is saying we were not merely victims. We were in our sin. We were the devil's co-conspirators. We weren't like, We weren't just victims being tempted against our will. We were saying, yeah, whatever you say, following the course of the devil. The enemy's power is what is at work in those who are spiritually dead, those who are perishing. And then third, Paul says this, we lived in the passions of our flesh. We dwelt there. We settled there. We homesteaded there. We were not interested in any way, shape, or form in God's rule or God's way. Instead, we carried out the desires of our body. The Bible calls them the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We carried out the desires of our body. This speaks of the times that we surrendered to our basest animal instincts, our unchallenged responses to our fallen nature. If it feels good, do it. And how many of you, if we could project up on this screen, moments in your life would have shame at the times when you utterly surrendered to your basest animal instincts. 
you wouldn't have time for mine. It would take a long time to have mine up on that screen. We also carried out, the Bible says, the desires of our mind. This speaks of the premeditated, sinful acts of our will, our volition, our anger, our lust, our envy, our gossip. So we deserve judgment. We deserved it. Because we're rebels against God's gracious rule. We have been shaking our fist in His face since the day we were born. We deserve it. Ephesians 2 verse 3 says this, And you were by nature children of wrath. Some translations say children deserving wrath like the rest of mankind. We, you and I, are targets. We have a bullseye on us. We're targets of God's righteous wrath. And not one of us has a single argument to make in our own defense. The just verdict that has been handed down from heaven is guilty. Guilty. There are no appeals. Guilty. When Paul says that we're children of wrath, he says that we're children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What he's doing is making it clear that not one of us, pope, prophet, priest, Whatever, no one has ever dug themselves out of this pit of sin and no one ever will. So the desperate cry is this. How then can we be saved? What are we going to do? We're doomed. What we did, who we were, the wrath we deserve, we're doomed. Thank you, God, for verse 4. Thank you, Lord, for verse 4. But God, oh, describe him for me, Paul. But God, being rich in mercy, though my sins were many, his mercy was more. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace. You have been saved. And you've been raised up. He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So God, for no discernible reason other than the fact that He is rich in mercy and that He has loved us with a great love, has done the absolutely unthinkable. He has come down to the morgue. He's entered the funeral home. He's made His way to the cemetery, to our very tomb, and He has made us alive together with His risen Son. He's done what we could not do And he elected us, as David taught us last week, he elected us and he has made us able to respond to his great love and his rich mercy. And he did this to show everything in all creation, to to really, for his glory, he shows everything in all creation, the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness uh, toward us in Christ Jesus. What God has done in us should result in Him constantly, unendingly receiving bucket loads of praise and glory. Amen? In J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, nerd warning, there's a powerful scene where the recently resurrected wizard, Gandalf the White, comes to rescue Theoden, the king of Rohan. 
The king is under a spell from the wizard Saruman and his little toady Grima Warmtongue. As Gandalf and his men prepare to enter the royal hall at Rohan, uh, Wormtongue has them disarmed. Now, I want you to see from the movie, Peter Jackson's uh, movie, The Two Towers, I want you to see this next scene that transpires after that uh, from The Two Towers. Let's watch that together. Just like Gandalf, Jesus slipped into our world seemingly unarmed. He was born in a manger to peasants. He was unknown till he was 30. He was rejected by religious and political powers alike, and he was executed like a common criminal on a Roman cross. See, no one was worried. None of those soldiers who disarmed the guys were worried about Gandalf's staff. It was a symbol of his weakness, just something for an old man to lean upon. But Wormtongue knew. He knew that that staff meant big problems for him. See, in the eyes of the Jews and the Romans, Jesus' cross was a symbol of his weakness. Surely, the Son of God could not be crucified. But Satan knew. The devil knew. Just as Gandalf uses his staff to free Theoden. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. See, Gandalf had been mocked and disregarded in his old form of Gandalf the Grey. But something in the atmosphere changed when he revealed himself as Gandalf the White, the one who had passed through fire and death. It was in this renewed identity that Gandalf could say to Saruman, you did not kill me, you will not kill him. Romans 6, 8. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. The devil did not kill Jesus. And by the word of God's electing grace, he will not kill you. We know that Christ, verse 9, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once, listen, once, for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ Jesus. Jesus died so we don't have to. Jesus lives so that we can too. Theoden had no power whatsoever to save himself. He was as good as dead. But what he needed was someone stronger than him, someone who had already prevailed over his enemies to come and work rescue and salvation for him.
And Romans 5, 6 says this, For while we were yet sinners, while we were still weak, while we were still dead in our trespasses and sins, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, for, for one, will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For while we were still enemies, while we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. See, God not only planned your rescue through grace, He has orchestrated it by resurrecting you from the death that you found yourself in in your trespasses and sins and made you able to respond to Jesus. No one seeks after God? Good, because God has sought after you. God's come looking for you even when you weren't looking for Him. So three questions. How or who will come to God? Not those who choose to. Not those who determine to find their way. All of that's nonsense. Only those he makes alive by his resurrecting grace will come. Can you come to God in your own power? Absolutely not. We're dead in our sin and we need the Holy Spirit to come and make us alive. How does the Holy Spirit make us alive? The Holy Spirit helps us to have faith in Jesus. Romans 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. Get over yourself. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're going to wrap up this service today by joining at the Lord's table. If I could have the elders up at the Lord's table. Um, we're going we're gonna, to uh, do this today. And listen, so many times in church, we, as you've noticed, we've done this a whole lot more. Uh, we're probably going to do it pretty much every week. And this is why. Because this is what Christ has instituted for us to be reminded of what we just talked about. The Bible says as often you do this, as often you partake this bread and this cup, that you do so in order to proclaim his death. It was his death that made you alive, that made me alive. You get that? You understand that? It was, it was what this, this body, this blood, these elements of, that represent those things, uh, that's what they represent that, that means that you can be resurrected by grace. And so if you're here and you need this grace, I said this earlier, I won't go through the whole spiel again, but if you need this grace, talk to us. There are men down here, I'll be, I'll be down here um, with Pastor David in just a moment, and we'll talk to you if you need Jesus, if you need to know more, please talk to us this morning. We want you to be free, we want you to be resurrected and to be able to respond to Jesus' life. But, but for the rest of you that do trust in Jesus, will you promise me not to come up here, grab a chunk of bread and, and, a, and a little bit of juice and, 
and just kind of do your churchy thing. You know, Jesus instituted this so that we would have, a, 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 as the, the gathered body of Christ, that we would have the opportunity to encounter him. To it. Now, we're not Catholics. We don't believe in what's called transubstantiation, that this is the actual body or the actual blood of Jesus. It's bread and it's grape juice. I bought it at Walmart, for goodness sakes. But the fact of the matter is that spiritually what is happening is God is calling you to encounter him, to come close and to gather deeply into him. Some of you need healing in your body. Well, as you come, ask God to help you believe that you're going to be healed. Some of you need freedom in your mind or in your emotions. Ask him to do that. Some of you just need peace over a situation. Ask him to do that. And come in faith that you're going to meet him down uh, as we gather together to do that. So if you would all stand with me, I'm going to read this passage of scripture that's so familiar to us now uh, about this. And and then I'm going to ask you to come and to uh, join us down here. Just come along each side and, and do this. If you are not a believer, this is not for you. But if you're not a believer, you can become one right now, right this very minute. Don't wait. No time like the present. Let me read this passage for you. This is what Paul says. He says, um, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body. He broke it, just like his own body would be broken. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. No more following the course of this world or the prince of the power of the air. There's a new covenant, folks. It's a new covenant in my blood. Do this in... in uh, in, in when, you, when you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we want you to do that. We want to proclaim his death. I'm going to pray and then I'll ask you to just gather and come down and join us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your broken body, for your spilled blood, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much that you have by this act that is foolishness to the world. God, you've displayed your never-ending, unstoppable power, Lord, so that we could absolutely be resurrected from the death of our sin and know you and follow you and live for you. And so we thank you for this, Jesus, and we ask you to come near to us now and encounter us at your table so that we can be free, truly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and join us.